Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Ardena Asban, here with my friend, Chavruta and Gordon. Our daf today, Masech Daf Chaf, page 20. Well, first of all, I want to announce our CM that is upcoming. Uh, it will, God willing, be on December 12th uh, at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Israel Time. Uh, we already have uh, a special speaker, uh, a meteorologist, uh, who will be talking about the weather patterns as it relates to Masech Tanit. Uh, if you would like to share some Torah, we will we'll have sharing a form soon uh, so that you can sign up. Um, I think there's a lot to think about uh, with this particular Masechet, so looking forward to hearing some of our learners' thoughts on this uh, particular uh, Masechet. Um, but I'm going to run and get started with the DAP because there's really a lot to talk about on this DAP. Um, I'm actually going to start in the previous DAP, and there's a very famous story here about Naktimon. Um, so it was taught that once all the Jewish people were going up to be Ola Laregel, right? It was one of the holidays, and they were going to Yerushalayim, but Yohayala and Mayim Lishtot, and there wasn't enough water for everybody to drink. Halach Naktimon ben Gurin. So Naktimon ben Gurin, who apparently was some type of very wealthy sort of inhabitant of uh, Yerushalayim, right? Eitzel Hegmon Acha, and he went to a uh, non Jewish officer. Amar Lo, he says to him, so he says, lend me 12 wells of water for these pilgrims, right? The Ole Lebregel. And I will give you back 12, 12 wells of water. Um, and if I don't give it to you, then I will give you 12 talents of silver. And the officer sort of set him a time limit for when he had to return this water. So one thing that I think is interesting here is it's clear that water was sort of a valuable commodity, right? Like they're basically trading in water. So when the set time came and no rain had fallen, right? So in the morning, this official sends a message to Naktimon. Right, so he says, either send me the water or the coins that you owe me. So in other words, I think what happened is he lends out these 12 wells of water. The water gets used up by all of the uh, pilgrims. No rain has fallen, so they haven't been filled back up again. And now it's the time where he's owed back the water or the, or the money. And he basically says to Naktimon in the morning, okay, which are you giving me, the water or the money? So Naktimon sends him back a message and he says, I still have time. I owe it to you over the course of the whole day. So I still have time. So the afternoon comes, right? And he basically, the officer again says, give me the water or the money. Naktimon says back to him, no, I still have the rest of the day. And then again, the officer says, give me the water or the money. And again, Naktimon says, no, I still have the rest of the day. Right? And now the officer starts to ridicule him. And he says, and the whole year water hasn't fallen. Now you think, like in these last few hours of the day, water is going to fall? So he happily goes into the bathhouse because he thinks he's about to get a lot of money. 
right? As he goes into the bathhouse happily, and so Natimon goes into the Beit HaMikdash in a very sad, basically. He wraps himself in his talit and he starts to pray. And he says, basically, before God, he says, you know that I didn't do this for my own honor or for the honor of my, house, my father's house, but I did this in your honor, right? So that there would be good water and enough water for the pilgrims. Right away, the sky became overcast. Until right away, these 12 cisterns are filled with water and they're overflowing. The master leaves, this officer leaves the bathhouse. And Naktimon leaves the temple. So it's very interesting. First of all, I think this story is not as famous as Choni Hamagal. And yet it's very similar to Choni Hamagal, right? It's a person who's able to basically control weather through prayer. Second of all, I think there's this whole contrast between sort of the actions of the non-Jewish um, uh, officer versus, you know, Naktimon. And it actually brings in mind to me a lot, the Hadron, right? Where we talk about like people who are not non-Jews, right? They're doing this, but we do this when we learn Torah. And so I think there's sort of supposed to be this parallel, right? Of he's in the bathhouse, but yet Naktimon is involved in prayer in the Beit HaMikdash. So now we have all of this rain, right? And what happens? So now the non-Jewish officer leaves the bathhouse. Naktimon and Naktimon leaves the Beit HaMikdash. And they meet each other. Amrulo, right? And uh, basically, Naktimon says to him, He says, actually, you owe me money because look at all this extra water that you got. Amrulo, and now the officer says to Naktimon, He says, I know that God has basically shaken this world and caused the rain to fall because of you, Naktimon. But I still have a claim against you and I can get money from you because you did not pay me on the agreed date. The sun is already set and the rain fell on my property. In other words, you didn't resolve this in time. So Naktimon now goes back to the temple and again, he starts to pray. And he says the following. Know that your beloved one. Right away, the clouds scattered. and the In other words, he basically, God extends the day, right? It should have been nighttime, but now he says the sun basically comes out again. At that moment, the officer says to him, Right, he says the sun had not broken through the clouds. Right, I would have had a claim against you. Tana lo buni and then a sage taught Naktimon was not his name; his actual name was Buni. Why did they call him Naktimon? Because the sun broke through for him. And then the Gemara goes on to basically talk about that for three people. The sun did something unusual, like either stood still or, or, or came out when it should not have come out. 
right, for Yehoshua, which is the very famous one, uh, for Naktimon, and for Moshe. This story is interesting for a few reasons. First of all, this is like a Choni Hama'agal story in that, you know, somebody controls the weather through prayer, yet it's not as famous as Choni Hama'agal at all, right? Anne, would you agree with that? Like, most people do not really know the story. The second is, is that unlike the story with Choni Hama'agal, I think there's a big contrast here that they're trying to set up between what Jews do and what non-Jews do, right? And it calls to mind for me the Hadron, uh, where we talked about like Anu Mashkimim, Behe Mashkimim, right? We get up early to do learn Torah, they get up early to do business. Um, and that the idea that sort of the officer is in the bathhouse, Naktimon is in the Beit Hamidash, and it's trying to sort of call to attention, I think, sort of that the Jewish way is connecting to God through prayer, right? And that we sort of have this special relationship with God as opposed to the non-Jewish world. Um, I don't know why the story doesn't get as much of attention as Choni HaMagal, um, but it's nevertheless, I think, uh, a story that's important in Tanit because it sort of shows one of the things we've been talking about is, you know, this tension between what's supposed to happen in the natural world versus using prayer to get something to happen in the natural world. And this is an example where prayer sort of wins out. Um, I also, so I was thinking about that also in the context of rain, meaning I know that this is the obvious thing because that's why it's in Masachat Anit, right? But the, the, we, we first spoke about rain as something that we turn to God in a, in a, all the, all the way of fasting and all the way of praying. And then we've got the Chori Magal story of, of, uh, the ultimatum, right? You know, the, I'm going to stand here until, and God kind of goes along with it. So this, there's something here with the manipulation or the attempts to manipulate God into providing rain. I think that is particularly interesting. Um, I, I don't have more to say on it yet. Let's put it that way. But I think that, you know, these two figures who are not at all the same in any case, um, I, I feel like, I, I, yeah, I feel like there's something to be said in terms of like comparing and contrasting them. Perhaps we'll do that a little bit more when we get to the more in-depth version of of Choni's story. Um, I don't know. I think that there's something interesting about trying to manipulate nature. Right. And we'll talk about this more when we talk about Choni. Okay. So I'm now going to jump to later on the Amud. Um, we have here a discussion of <laughs> Excuse me. Um, we have here a discussion of psukim, of verses which end up um, providing, I would say, the opposite of the rain here that comes as a blessing, and we're going to talk about cursing. Um, we have here a verse from Malachi. When the, uh, let me put, give a little bit more context. Okay, we've got the statement from the Mishnah. Right, because everything in this in this gemara is go, tracking back to the Mishnah, the long Mishnah. If there's a city which they did not have the rain come down, and so there's a discussion about how that clearly must be that you know, if one city is getting rain and the other is not, then one city that and how both cities are facing a curse, right? Because if one is having drought and the other is having storms or storms that are destructive, then we're talking about a curse. So then, this is. This is the fodder, I think, for a further discussion. So the Gemara, I'm jumping a bit from that line of the of the Mishnah that's cited to see we have a verse from Malachi and then one from King, from Malachim and then from Mishlei. We've got a whole bunch of psukim here that are going to kind of flesh this out. 
So the verse from Malachi chapter 2 says, Therefore I have made you contemptible and lowly. Amar Yehuda Livracha, the lo mokiminan lo reishen harev lo gizri patai. Nope, sorry. Giziri patai. Giziri patai is a word that means the government officials. Um, right, they are the. I, I don't know if it's really from Kazera from issuing a decree, but it might be. Um, or I don't know that it's not. Uh, let me just. I'm checking very quickly commentary to see if I have an answer, and I don't. Um, so, the idea here is to say that when we say that the nations are view us as lowly, that can also be a blessing. And this is where blessing is used as blessing. Sometimes blessing, the word blessing in the Gemara is used to be. Um, what we call lashon sagina hor, like uh, um, using the language to cloak what it really means. And so the word blessing is used to mean cursing. Uh, we've talked about that in the past as well. But in this case, the idea here is that they don't they don't assign us. They don't give us these particular jobs that we might not want. So if you're too if you're too contemptible for something, there might be a benefit into what you're not allowed to do. From here, we come to the story of in Kings and Malachim about Achia Shiloni. Achia Shiloni was a prophet, and he cursed. She cursed the the Bnei Israel as follows: Vika Hashem et Yisrael kasher yanud hakane b'mayim. God will smite Israel, Bnei Israel, just as the reed is shaken in the water. The kane is shaken in the water. What does this mean? Amar Yehud Amar Rav. Livracha, Dama Rav Shmuel Barnachmari, Amar Rabbi Yonatan, my dictive, Nemanim, Pete's A, Ohev, Venatrot, Nishikot, Sone. So Yehuda says, Rav says that this is also for blessing, meaning what? Shmuel Barnachmani said, the Rabbi Yochanan said, we have a lot of names here. What is the meaning of it? it is written, and he quotes here a verse from Proverbs to explain the verse from Malachim uh, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful, meaning it doesn't mean everything is always going to be smooth and easy with friends. But when you have something smooth and easy with an enemy, you can perhaps know not to trust it. Tova klala shekilel achia shiloni at Israel yoter mi bracha shebrachan bil amharasha. The idea being that when achia shiloni curses bnei Israel, that's a more effective blessing. I'm sorry, that's more effective in, in its uh, relationship to Bnei Israel, meaning we'd rather have that than the blessing that Bilam blessed them, right? Meaning at the end of the day, Bilam sets out to, cur- to curse Bnei Israel, and of course at the end of the day he he blesses them, and this Gemara says, yes, but we'd rather have the real curse from Achia Shilonit, who is you know truly of Bnei Israel, as opposed to Bilam, who was considered here by Chazal, he's called here, Bilam Harasha, right? He is uh, the considered to be the wicked one. Uh, the biblical text isn't as doesn't paint Bilam quite as wicked as the Gemara does. Then Rabbi Yochanan explains this further. When when Shilonit curses the Jewish people, that's done by comparing Benesel to a reed. Right, that God will smite Israel like a reed that is shaken in the water. So that sounds like a curse, right? But really, it could be considered a blessing. 
how and and this is why we can take Achia's words and spin them on their head. The idea is here that the reed that stands in its place in the water, right? But it's got it's got little offshoots and it's got roots that are deep in the ground, right? Many more than you might expect for something of that's such a um like a a negligible plant otherwise. And the idea is that the winds, all the winds of the world can come and blow and it won't move. It'll just, you know, bend, sway in the wind and and when the winds die down, that reed will still be in place. Right? The idea is that the Israel are not broken there, they're just bending and going with the vicissitudes of the weather in this particular case. And the implication is, of course, that at the end of the day, for all that that's a terrible thing to say about Benesha, how could you say that they're reed to be broken? They're not really going to be broken. They're going to eventually survive. And then the idea is that they will, you know, um, make it make it home, right? Meaning that we will come to return to God and so on. As compared to Bilam, Aval Bilam Harasha Berachan Be'erez She'emar Karazim Alemayim so when Bilam blessed the Jews, and he, it is considered a blessing, right? He compares them to a cedar tree, as and the verses in the book of Numbers, of course, that's where the story of Bilam is, as the cedars stand before the waters, uh, or maybe in the place of the water. The angis o machlif, the in the the tree stands there where the water is, but the the little offshoots do not replenish themselves. There aren't a lot, great deal. The Ein Rosh There aren't a great deal of roots. A cedar tree is not going to have any give when the wind comes against it. Right now, on the one hand, you could say that that's a really good thing, right? That that the tree can stand fast against the wood, the wind. But in this case, as compared to the weed, the, the as I'm sorry, as compared to the reed, the idea is that the reed has a benefit in being able to to go with the wind, um, but only so far. So, And if, a, if the winds, if all the winds come and blow against the cedar tree, you know, that it'll be too strong and it will uproot, it'll uproot the tree and overturn it on its head. And then better than all of this, of course, is the idea that a reed, what you can do with a reed is you can, you know, um, pluck it, right? You can um, cut the reed from its, where it stands and turn it into a kulmus. A kulmus is a quill. And then you can take that quill and you can write a Sefer Torah. You can write a Torah. You can write the prophets. You can write the writings, right? The idea here is so much better to be considered a reed as in the curse of Achia Shilonit, as compared to the cedar tree from Bilam Harasha. Um, the Gemara goes on to, in further, like, in, you know, like, if you ever thought that a reed needed more praise, even though it's being used to curse, here we go. So specifically, we get this message that a person should be soft like a reed, soft meaning here, you know, giving, uh, where there's physical give. Right, and that implies a certain degree or a, an important degree of flexibility, as compared to the cedar tree, which would be much more rigid, much more stiff. 
מעשה שבא רבי אלעזר ברבי שמעון ממגדל גדור מבית רבו. So what happened? Rabbi Lezer was the son of Rabbi Shimon. He came from Migdal Gedor, which where his rabbi's house was. He was riding on his donkey's back, and he was traveling on the on the riverbank. And he had a great and an overwhelming joy. He was happy. He was. It says here, right? His his head was. fat right his it, it went to his head right he was swollen with pride um that he had learned so much torah when he was in his rebbe's house and as he's traveling he comes upon some comes across across somebody whom he finds to be incredibly ugly as ugly as can be So the person says to him, hello, you know, gives him good greeting. Shalom alecha Rebbe. Velo echzir lo. But Rebbe Lezer doesn't answer him. Amar lo reka. Kala mukhoarata ish. He says to him instead, you're empty. How ugly is this guy? How, you know, you're so ugly. Uh, he doesn't say you, right? It says, it, how ugly is this man? Shema kol b'nei ircha mukhoarin kamotcha. Then he asked, right, are all the people of this city as ugly as you are? Amar lo. And he says to him, Eini Yehudeya. I don't know. Right? Which I think it's just a perfect representation of, a, of like, what kind of answer are you supposed to give to this question? And he says to him, and we've seen this kind of answer before, the man says to Reb Lezer, you should go that and go and say this to the Uman, to the craftsman who made me. Craftsman with a capital C, right? Meaning God, who made this man, who made him with his physical appearance, which... However ugly you want to say it, he's turning the blame back to his creator. How ugly is this vessel that you made, oh God, right? So then Rabbi Lezer knew he had done wrong. And he knew that he had sinned. He comes, off, he comes down off the donkey. He prostrates himself before this man. He says, I'm, I've sinned against you. I, you know, please forgive me. So the man says, He says, I am, I'm not going to forgive you until you go to the craftsman who made me and says, how ugly is this vessel? So what happens? He walks behind the So Rebbe follows this man until they get to his city. You know, greetings to you, my Rebbe, my Rebbe, my master, my master. Amar lahem, he says to them, let me attack Orin, who are you calling Rebbe? Rebbe, who are you calling by this um, honorific? Amar lo, lezesh metayelach haracha. He says the, to the person who is walking behind you. Amar lahem, im ze Rebbe, al yirbuk motob Yisrael. He says, if this guy is a rabbi, maybe, may there not be more like him in amongst Israel. They said, what are you talking about? Why? So he says, this is what he did to me. This is what he said to me, really. But it says, Asali, what he did to me. They say, even so, even though he was so rude and so insulting, you should forgive him because he's a great Torah scholar, which I think is an interesting 
point, meaning on the one hand, the great Torah scholar can err and be insulting. And on the other hand, at some point, maybe you forgive that because of the rest of who he is to recognize that, you know, there's more to this person than the insult that he gave. And he says to them, It's fine, because of you, the people of my city, I will forgive him. As long as he makes it a point not to do the same kind of thing. So immediately, Rebbe Lezer says, he, he expounds, And he goes back to this line of that a person should be, um, that a person should be soft, or flexible like the reed, and not to be rigid like the like the Lebanon, like the cedar. And so that's why, because of these, like that flexibility, is why this reed has the merit to become the quill that writes. The here the list is a little bit different. We use that quill to write a Torah and also the other. Things that require scribal, the scribal arts, namely tefillin and mitzvot, and and that's that's the piece that I find to be most interesting on this daf. This combination of, on the one hand, um, the curse, the curse and the blessing, uh, or the interpretation of the curse to turn it into a blessing, and then you know seeing a story where it's really made manifest of how where somebody could be too rigid. And it would have gone poorly for you know for everybody there. And isn't it so much better to be a little forgiving, a little more flexible, and the merit that that gets? Um, okay, we're running out of time. I just want to point out one last thing here. Um, there's a story later on in Amud Bet with Rav Ada Bar Ahava, and I think uh, and there's a whole thing where you know there's a whole discussion here about walls that are about to fall and whether or not you can walk underneath them and it tells the story the Ravuna Ravuna had a amount of wine in a certain like rundown building and he basically wants to you know uh he wants to move it but basically he's worried that it will collapse if he goes in. So he brings Rabada Barava who in the previous stories mentioned to have uh, a lot of merit um, and that once he passed away, Shmuel and Rav would then go underneath this dilapidated uh, wall, basically in there, right? And so he sort of has this extensive halachic discussion with him while he's sort of like moving out the wine, basically. And then as soon as they get walk out, the house collapsed. And Rav Ada Barava gets very, very angry with him. Um, and uh, basically, the Gemara then explains why. Uh, again, I'll just read this outside, right? That a person, well, he quotes Rabbi Sakana, that a person should never basically go into a place of danger, and that a miracle is going to happen to them, because maybe a miracle won't happen. I'm just struck by this story being on the same page as Naktimon, and even think about the Choni Amagal story, where I don't know. I guess Naktimon sort of was relying on a miracle to happen, and so does Choni. Choni sort of forces God to do a miracle. So I'm not going to fully comment on this now, but I just think pay attention to this story because it is sort of in contrast with some of the other stories where sort of people seek out and sort of very boldly sort of be like, God's going to do this miracle for me. And here we have a story where where, where Rav is basically very upset that a miracle, you know, that Rav Huna sort of tried to rely on a miracle.
that's our doc discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rebony and Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hudwin website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.